0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash
0: trial. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2.
2: Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers and deaths of famous musicians. I'm your host LD Riding Shotgun and Solo. Today is Mr. Will The Thrill.
3: And to that I say greetings and salutations. I remember when I could open a bottle? That was fun. Oh, for wow. love of Pete. Oh, I got a broken bottle opener. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 Hi, everybody.
2: Hello. Okay. So here's the thing. We will talk about the elephant in the room in just a second. So uh, as you guys will notice, my brother is not here today. And that is because, if you guys don't know this yet... He's actually the editor of the newspaper along with doing this podcast. And so he had a news thing come up. Now, it should be noted, guys, that uh, we are woefully behind on our episodes right now because we had our slap nuts episode. We had our episode, uh, we had pre recorded a couple episodes uh, because, again, my brother, news stuff.
3: And sometimes he sort of gets a notification that this is going to happen. So we anticipated a time when things would be quite busy.
2: Yes. And so we pre recorded a bunch of stuff and then we put that out for you guys. But now we're back to being live again. And in that time, we lost a lot of people, (sighs) a lot of people, to the point where I don't think we can actually name them all right now. I do know that when my brother comes back, fingers crossed next episode... We will actually go in depth about the loss of Marvin Lee a day because, holy crap, you guys, that was...
3: That one hit you hard.
2: I was crying, physically shaking, crying, went and ordered like every movie he's ever done.
3: (laughs) The morning it happened, I remember, because I was working and I just heard this very sad call from the other room and you were under the covers with the phone Yeah. And you did not want to come out. And then it was then that I realized we had lost someone very important to you.
2: Yeah. And I I should say, like, I have loved Meatloaf probably since I was, like, 14. The Loaf. He, he. well, technically, I I was properly introduced to the Meatloaf when we watched a particular movie. But I don't want to get too deep into (laughs) this, specifically because I know that me and my brother are going to kind of have a geek fest when it comes to this stuff, so we're gonna actually hold off on any kind of in memoriam right now for anyone that has passed, and we're actually gonna hold for my brother because I know he has opinions on a lot of the people that passed, and I know that we want to have a specific dialogue about meatloaf. So and
3: I, I do think it'll be a sort of a between you and your brother who gets to cover Mister Day. I
2: will, f- I will
3: fist fight my brother. I'll he's, take that. He's gonna be
2: I... listening to this podcast, TJ Travis. Let me just tell you something. I've got
3: fingernails. Yeah, you'll fight dirty. I will fight dirty. (laughs) And then the other one who passed away very recently was the director, Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman. I love director Ivan Reitman.
2: It's so sad because I just finished my Funko Pop collection of Ghostbusters. (laughs) Ghostbusters. And it was, it's the the new Ghostbusters because the old Ghostbusters are so incredibly expensive. The Funko Pops are so incredibly expensive, but I did get Egon. And so I need to get the rest of them, but
3: yeah. That also arrived the day he passed, didn't it?
2: It did arrive the day he Uh. passed and I just opened it up and was
3: kind of like, oh, this sucks. Anyway, Ivan Reitman, we miss you. And uh, he did pass the torch to his son, Jason, in, in Afterlife. So
2: That was literally the first thing we said was like through almost... Tearful, you know, like quivering voices were like, "Well, at least he got afterlife," and
4: yeah.
2: we, we were, we really gonna miss him. We're gonna miss him. So, but we do need to get back to Michael because yes, we if do. we're gonna finish this four thousand two hundred sixty-three <laughs> episode arc on Michael
3: Jackson, we can probably do it in four thousand two hundred fifty-eight if we, if we
2: try. Only if I drop the entirety of nineteen ninety-seven. <laughs> Anyway, so when we actually last left Michael, he had just released Thriller. And this is going to be a through line that's actually going to last a couple episodes because it was a monster. And on March the 12th, 1983, the co-management contract that Michael Jackson and his brothers had with their father, Joseph Jackson, and with the team of Ron Wisner and Freddie DeMann expired. It was expected that Michael would renegotiate and sign a new deal. However, he was not eager to do it. Every time it came up, he'd say, you know, let's wait and see what happens. Let's wait and see what happens. And he kept saying that when the subject was broached. At this time, Michael's thriller on Epic Records had been number one for 10 consecutive weeks prior to the special airing and it stayed on top of the billboard 200 for another
3: five weeks quick really question is.
2: do you think you, do you think you could name what you think might have dethroned it
3: we've had this conversation before it's something weird i know that
2: it's something i mean it, it was something that i love replaced by something that i love
3: <laughs> okay so it's win-win for you all right yes
2: it was actually flash dance. Really, for only two weeks, and then Thriller reached number one again for another ten non-consecutive weeks in 1983 and 1984. So
3: there was a brief interlude where Flashdance
2: yes. was number one. Yes, it was oh, Irene Cara wow. was was number one for two weeks, and then Thriller came back. But something else happened that year. Mm-hmm. Budapest Live, the album, was released in 1984 by
4: Manfred Mann's Earth yeah! <laughs>
2: I think you actually have to do it.
3: I have to do it? I think you have to do it. So I have to state that ladies and gentlemen... Wait, wait, wait. Can you do it like...
2: like? Can you do it kind of like my brother? Like, sort of creepy?
3: Uh, I can try. Okay, work, work hard at it. Ladies and gentlemen... No, now you just sound like you have a sore throat. I'm hurt. sorry, I'm sick. <laughs> Hello, Sydney. <Uh-oh. laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs>
2: Ladies and gentlemen, our federally yes, mandated Manfred Man's
3: reference of the podcast
2: has been satisfied. See, when I get to that point,
3: I'm fine. I can do the has been satisfied. <laughs> we'll work we'll work on it. It could be I'll we, can, we, we can fix it in post, right? By the end of this series I will get <laughs> yeah. it. I promise you.
2: So by now Michael was twenty four and he experienced the success of having a solo career with Thriller as a result, and he was just now more confident than ever in his decision-making process. He had just been presented with a double platinum award for Thriller at a press conference held at CBS West Coast offices. He knew how powerful he had become in the record industry, and he was no longer compelled to follow the lead of his brothers who said that they wanted to continue with Joseph. From that point on, Ron and Freddie and Joseph will work without a contract, while Michael made up his mind on
3: how to handle them. So, Joe is still managing the brothers, is that correct?
2: Yeah. So, last one we spoke about the past was this Motown staple named Suzanne DePasse. She was actually in the final stages of mounting an NBC special called Motown 25. Yesterday, today, and forever to celebrate Motown's 25th anniversary. Suzanne was now the president of Motown Productions and Barry Gordy's respected right-hand woman. And now the last time we checked in with her, I think she was kind of a one-woman show that was sort of doing everything for the Jackson family. Like she was picking out the outfits and she was helping stage and finding locations. And she was like their their girl Friday. She was awesome.
3: Now that was all under Barry's direction though, correct? I believe
2: so. Okay. Yeah. So now she has really, really climbed the ranks and is now just his right-hand she expected all of the former Motown stars, some of who had actually already left the company, such as Diana Ross, to reunite for one evening to pay tribute to the 54-year-old Barry and the acknowledgement of the impact on their lives and the careers and kind of the scope of the musical landscape. Remember, Motown's been going for 25 years now, and you think about how many stars they had churned out. So this was kind of just like paying tribute to... His legacy.
3: Yes, and including that, that Michael Jackson guy who yeah. now has the best-selling album ever, which, which was interrupted by Flashdance, and then he got it back, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do?
3: As, as you do.
2: She was actually having a hard time finding commitments for performers. It had been her idea to reunite Diana Ross and the Supremes 13 years after the group disbanded, but now Diana was with RCA, and she hadn't seen Barry since she left Motown. Hmm which I think means that their romantic relationship was kind of over with as well.
3: I think it's a fair assumption, yes.
2: Yeah. She wasn't sure how she felt about it and decided not to cooperate. Her decision to put a proposed Supremes reunion in jeopardy uh, wasn't really looked upon nicely. It was decided that there would be instead a reunion, and I'm putting reunion in bunny ears. They, they're, they're, the quotes are flying everywhere. Quotes are flying. Of Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five, including the brother Jermaine who had not performed with the group since 1975.
3: Now, was he the one who was dating Barry Gordy's daughter?
2: Married. Married to, at this point. He married Hazel. Got it. And uh, he had stayed with Motown when the brothers went to CBS. Hmm. So he actually had left the group. And so all the brothers agreed that that would be an excellent idea to do the actual show for Motown, except for Michael. Womp, womp Michael took the time to think about how much Barry Gordy had done for him and the whole group, but his managers told him that he didn't want to go on TV. His whole attitude toward television was pretty negative, and we had talked about this before. Like, he didn't enjoy doing those live shows, just specifically because he didn't have control over it. And that's a big thing for Michael, is having control. is like having those steps perfect, having everything just down to a T for him, was so important. He didn't feel like that would be a thing. He was a perfectionist. Yeah, but he actually really enjoyed making music videos because he would have complete control over that final product. Mm -hmm. Every aspect of his performance could be perfected by multiple takes or careful editing. Putting on a live studio audience program that would be taped later for TV was a risky proposition. He wouldn't have as much control. So if he went in, did that live show, they went back in and they edited it, they could make it look like anything they wanted to and he couldn't have control of that. And so he really was against that idea. Mm. And he didn't think that one take would be enough to perfect it. Because he thought, well, what if I spin and, and, and do a little, like, do you know? He couldn't fix that in post. Got it. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. Well, he, they didn't even have the, the multiple takes that they could switch to. So, for him, it was all about control. So, because of that, like, inability to have control over it, he didn't think that it was a really good idea. It was actually a surprise that Joseph... Hmm... Huh actually thought the idea of a reunion would be a good one. It wasn't like he actually cared about Gordy. Far from it. He actually saw an opportunity to present the family in a way that he had always believed they should have been presented, as a united front.
3: Well, you know who loves Joe Jackson?
2: (laughs) Joe Jackson.
3: Yeah, Joe Jackson. Yeah, very much so.
2: As far as Joseph was concerned, he really didn't actually care what Michael had to say because his actual overall attitude was like, he'll do what I tell him to do. And as mm-hmm. usual, he underestimated his son. Yeah. Michael actually contacted the managers, Ron and Freddie, and his attorney, John, and decided that he was going to appear on the program, which was kind of shocking. Huh. Barry was fairly blasé about the reluctance of some former Motown stars trying to honor him but he couldn't even get his former brother-in-law Marvin Gaye to appear. Barry broke down and telephoned Diana after a lengthy discussion she agreed that she would appear on the program and then Marvin Gaye eventually made the same commitment but it was kind of like a I think it was a this person's doing it why don't you do it this person's doing it why don't you do it. But eventually, even Marvin Gaye kind of came around and made the same commitment, but Michael was still the holdout. Eventually, Barry went to see him and discuss the issue. He was in the process of editing Beat It at one of the Motown studios, and somebody must have told him that he was in the building, so he came down to the studio and talked to him at length about it. And Michael finally said, okay, but if I do it, I want to do Billie Jean. Hmm. It would have been the only non-Motown song in the entire show. Interesting. So he was really throwing his weight around.
3: Clearly. And, and
2: and by the way, some people think, oh, that's weird that he would be in a Motown studio, but actually it's really funny because the studio system is really weird, especially out here, because you can have a Fox show that shoots at Warner Brothers, sure. or you can have a HBO show that shoots at the Sony Studios. It's like, it doesn't really matter what affiliation the networking is it's just what
3: studio fits your needs yeah it's like who's producing the project who's has the space for the project and then also who's distributing the project those can all be different things
2: yeah i mean it's really funny because in universal and warner brothers universal has an outdoor pool area like like where you can make it look like you have an ocean mm. and then warner brothers has the indoor drop where you can fill it full of water. And that's where we actually shot Poseidon at. That Warner Brothers? Yeah, that was oh, actually Warner, Warner Brothers um, because I wanted to go to the Seven Eleven and buy a soda. If anybody's interested in seeing my pictures from when I was on Poseidon, they're pretty gross. They're pretty amazing. They're kind of amazing. We just found them going through our stuff.
3: And I will never forget what the director said to you.
2: <laughs> so Wolfgang Peterson is the director. And if you guys don't know who Wolfgang Peterson is, Wolfgang Peterson directed The Neverending Story, he directed Das Boot, he directed The Perfect Storm, and here he is directing Poseidon, (laughs) and I have loved him since The Neverending Story, because of course I wasn't old enough for Das Boot yet, but uh, he walked up to me, and I'm wearing this, like, it's supposed to be New Year's Eve, and I am one of the stunt people in the movie, and I'm wearing this, like, ridiculous outfit, it's like a leather skirt, and, like, this big sparkly shirt, and I've got this stupid, like floofy headdress on me because you know it's new year's and you have to look stupid and so he walks up to me goes my dear you are very very pretty but that hat is so stupid and then he just kind of patted me on the shoulder and walked off
3: that's the greatest interaction (laughs) because i can picture it in my head
2: it was just like this the old loving grandfather just walking up to me. It's so weird. It was
3: extremely German.
2: My life is strange. So going back to what we were actually talking about, which was, you know, the links that people will go to to have Michael be on their show. Uh, he had said that he only wanted to do, he wanted to do Billy Jean. He would be happy to do a reunion for the show, but he would, he wanted to do Billy Jean. And Barry said, I don't know about Billy Jean. It just doesn't seem right to me. Michael quietly told Barry that he was sorry. And then after a moment of silence, Barry grinned and said, Okay, Billie Jean, hey, what the hell? I love that song. Nice." Barry told him that's what he wanted to do. And so he agreed to do the Jackson's medley, which would include Germaine. Got it. And then he would do Billie Jean. So Michael gathered his brothers up and they rehearsed for the show. He really actually loved working with them again. It felt nice. Like, for him, it felt like the old days. He felt like he would choreograph them, and they would listen, and they would rehearse, and, you know, they would be at the Encino house, well, and...
3: Again, if you take Joe out of the equation, I think it would be more pleasant. I'm just saying. Yeah,
2: well, Joe's a monster. <laughs> so they videotaped every rehearsal so that they could watch it later. Jermaine and Marlon also made their contributions, and next they went to Motown in Pasadena for the rehearsals, and they did their act... And even though they were reserved with their energy and they never went all out on everything, people were freaking out. Hmm. So, you know, they, they weren't giving it 100% because it was not performance. And I think we kind of saw that if you guys are fans of any kind of Broadway musicals or like the live shows that they do. They did Rent Live and one of the performers actually broke his leg. So they had to show the rehearsal and it was not good. <laughs>
3: It did not go over well. It did not go well.
2: So it wasn't, they weren't giving their full out performances, but people were freaking out. And so he would do his Billy Jean rehearsal and he would just walk through it because he didn't have anything planned yet. He really didn't have any time to plan anything because he was so busy rehearsing with the group. The next day he called up his management office and he said, could you order me a
3: spy hat?
2: And <laughs> what he meant was a fedora, like something a secret agent would wear. He wanted something special.
3: But he called it a spy hat. It's a
2: spy hat. That is a spy hat. I
3: guess.
2: (laughs) During the thriller sessions, he had found a black jacket and said, you know, someday I'm going to wear this to perform. And it was the perfect jacket for this show. So that's what he was going to wear on Motown 25. And unlike Michael, it was the night before taping, and he still had no idea what he was going to do for his solo number. And that's really not like him. Like, he likes rehearse, 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 rehearse. Everything has to be perfect. He plans everything. He plans everything meticulously. But he didn't have anything for this number, so he actually went down to his kitchen and played Billie Jean. And he was there by himself the night before the show, and he pretty much stood there and let the song tell him what to do. He said... I kind of let the dance create itself. I really let it talk to me. I heard the beat come in and I took this spy hat and I started to pose and started letting Billie Jean's rhythm create the movements. I almost felt compelled to let it create itself. I couldn't help it. And that being able to step back and let the dance come through was a lot of fun. So basically... He let Billie Jean choreograph Billie Jean. He just let it go. He let it happen. And something's going to happen that is iconic. He had been practicing certain steps and movements. And although most of the performance was actually spontaneous, the one thing that he had been practicing was called the moonwalk. (laughs) And it dawned on him in that kitchen that he could finally do it in public for Motown 25. Now, Michael did not invent The moonwalk, okay? For everybody out there, he did not. It was actually on the street, but he enhanced it when he did it. It was born as a breakdance step, something called popping and locking. But it was the kind of thing that the kids did on the streets. And so, according to Michael, three little kids taught it to him. Now, I've heard a couple different stories about how who actually taught it to him. But they had given him all the basics, and he had been practicing it with certain other steps. All he was really sure of that when it came to performing it, that during the bridge of Billie Jean, he was going to walk backwards and forwards at the same time like he was walking on the moon. Now, in the book, the magic, the madness, the whole story, Harry Benelli has a different take on the moonwalk. Apparently, Ron Weiser put him in touch with a 16-year-old with the stage name of Casper, who was apparently the kid who invented the move. Huh. Michael had seen him do something like that on Soul Train, and it basically looks like you're going backward and forward at the same time. It's called a backslide, Casper explained. Michael asked him to teach it to him. Casper was so stunned that he could barely answer yes. The next day, Casper and his dance partner, Cooley Jackson, met Michael at the Herschel Studio in Los Angeles. Casper did have to explain that there were no special effects like wheels on his shoes because Michael didn't believe that you could actually do that. But with the help of Casper, he taught it to Michael. He had a few other sessions with Michael, and he was at home watching Motown 25 like millions of others. And he saw Michael do the step for the first time. He said, I couldn't believe it. My heart started pounding. I flew right out of my chair and was screaming. I was like, oh my God, he did it. He finally did it. I am the guy who taught it to him. So you're telling me Motown
3: 25 was the first appearance of... Bingo. The Michael's, okay, got it. This
2: is why I have almost an entire episode devoted to this special. <laughs> so g- getting back to Casper, he was completely freaking out. And he said that it wasn't called the moonwalk. It was called the backslide. The moonwalk is when you do the stuff in a complete circle. But somehow the step that Michael did on TV became known as the moonwalk instead of the backslide. Interesting. Yes, Okay, so the thing is, I wanted to let you guys know about why I was so focused on Motown's Yesterday, Today, and Forever, the story of Motown 25. It was because that was the first appearance of the moonwalk. Now, let's actually hop back to the actual performance, okay? So the taping of the Motown special was actually running behind schedule, so Michael went off and rehearsed by himself. His managers had gotten him that spy hat, and his brothers wanted to know what it was for, but he told him that they'd have to wait and see. He did ask Nelson Hayes for a favor. He said, "'Nelson, after I do my set with my brothers and all the lights go out, I want you to sneak out onto the stage and hand me this hat.'" I'll be in the corner next to the wings talking to the audience, but you sneak out around back and put it in my hands in the dark. So after his brothers finished performing their medley, he walked over to the side of the stage and said, You're beautiful. I'd like to say that those were good old days. Those were magical moments with all my brothers, including Jermaine, which seems kind of like a dig, doesn't it?
3: It does seem kind of sending, yeah.
2: <laughs> but he was, he, he was just kind of stalling for Nielsen to sneak the hat in his hands. And he said... What I really like are the new songs. He turns around, grabbed the hat, and went into Billie Jean. Now, from what I understand, he was going to be lip syncing to the song, and apparently, that was obvious from the first note. But <laughs> nobody cared. No one cared at all. As the music pulsated, he jammed back and forth. Um, he stroked his hand on his hat. He had his less his, you know, that, the Michael Jackson pose: the left leg bent, arm up hand-on-hat, mm-hmm. that pose, he did that for the first time. <laughs> now, the, the the poses might have been attributed to Bob Fossey or Sammy Davis Jr., but Michael had made it his own. And while most entertainers and performers kind of perform for their audience, Michael actually seemed to be just performing for himself.
3: Well, considering the amount of time he spent solo, Putting this performance together, I feel like that kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah. Uh, he threw the hat aside at a pivotal moment in the song, and the audience went
3: nuts. For the record, I just want to point out, when you start the video game Moonwalker, that's what Michael Jackson does. What, the pose? The pose and throw the hat. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> I never played the video game. Oh, you, you are missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am. It is something Doug and I played at length on the Sega Genesis. Is it a one player or two player? It was two player. Like you basically go through all these like different settings of his videos and you fight like bad guys and rescue children. That's like the crux of the game. That's actually what happens in the movie. And your superpower is you do a dance sequence that kills all the enemies on screen. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's really something. You can play it. It's, it's a blast.
2: So Michael's brothers actually stood in the wings and their mouths were just like eating dirt off the floor. <laughs> like their jaws were just dropped. His parents and sisters sat in the audience absolutely agape. And Joseph turned to Catherine and just said, that boy just stole the show. Barry was also standing to the side and applauding. That night, he was one of Michael's biggest fans. Ever since he was a child, Michael had that ability to move an audience with his singing and his dancing. And however, that night, something was different. Everybody agrees something about that night was different. That night, his audience was just as exhilarated by the force of his personality as they were by his voice and his footwork. Videotypes of Michael's performances do not begin to capture the pandemonium that was generated by that evening. The few minutes Michael Jackson had been on stage at the Pasadena Civic Center would add up to the performance of his career. When this episode is over with, I don't have any songs in this episode. That's crazy. What I'm going to play at the end, you will see. Fair okay. Enough. So after that evening, both personally and professionally, Michael would never be the same again. Michael appeared surprised when he took one more step than he was supposed to. When the music stopped, it could have been that he was moving so fast that his own momentum carried him. A standing ovation rocked the hall. Like it was, I cannot begin to describe how those sound engineers must've felt because it was just
3: screaming, blown their eardrums out.
2: (laughs) Um, Michael got the standing ovation from the hall and he bound, he did this like little stutter step and he straightened up and raised his arm. He went straight forward, his body motionless. He did not smile or acknowledge the moment, which of course was all part of the act. (laughs) In Michael's words, my brothers told me they were crowded in the wings watching me and their mouths open and my parents were sitting out there in the audience. But I just remember opening my, my eyes at the end and just seeing the sea of people standing up applauding. And I felt so many conflicted emotions. I had done my best and I felt so good, but at the same time I had felt disappointed in myself. I had planned to do one really long spin and stop on my toes suspended for a moment, but I didn't stay on my toes as long as I wanted. I did the stand on one toe and just stood there frozen. It didn't work quite as planned.
3: And that's the iconic pose, right? That's the iconic pose. Wow, born of a mistake. It's like Bob Ross said, no mistakes, happy accidents.
2: Well, no, no, no. He was he wanted to do the pose. Okay, I thought... It, it, and he stepped out.
3: Okay, got it. I thought it was implied that that happened sort of in error. No, he, okay.
2: wanted, he wanted to stay on his toes suspended, but he didn't stay there as long as he wanted to.
3: Mm,
4: okay.
2: So it, it, he did like a spin out. So it, he didn't get up there as long as he wanted to.
4: Got
3: it.
2: But that's how much a perfectionist he is. When you watch the video, you don't notice it. Right. Only that that's the thing. People are their worst critics. And Michael was one of his just absolutely bare down worst critics.
3: He beat himself up. Yeah.
2: Like we would know if he stayed on his toes for two more seconds. You're (laughs) friggin' Michael Jackson, man. We got backstage and people were congratulating me. And this is still a quote from Michael. I should say, I was still disappointed about the spin. I had been concentrating so hard and I'm such a perfectionist. And at the same time, I knew this was one of the most happiest moments in my life. I needed it for the first time. My brothers really had gotten the chance to see me and see what I was doing, how I was evolving. After the performance, each one of them came and hugged and kissed me backstage. They had never done that before, and I felt happy for all of us. It was so wonderful when they kissed me like that. I mean, we hug all the time. My whole family embraces a lot, except for my father. He's the one who doesn't. Whenever the rest of us see each other we embrace but they all kiss me that night i felt like i had been blessed by them and this is a lot because like your family is a family of huggers your family
3: hugs you talking about my family yes yeah, yours does not my, no <laughs> it is meet the Fockers, isn't it it, it really yeah, is my parents are the Fockers. yeah
2: no my yeah. parents my parents are the Fockers.
3: i thought it was meet the because your parents are robert de niro yes the Fockers yes. are the. so it's his Ben's girlfriend yes okay yeah. yes
2: yeah my parents are the Fockers. My my family does side hugs, like the good job. <laughs> like I'm patting eh, you. Yep, I'm, here's my affection. We don't hug. We are not huggers. Not My family, on the other hand, I don't like to be touched.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Your family is great because they start the hug like 35 feet back. You see it coming. You see it, it's like your your mom's like. Eee. Well, they're loud and <laughs> <Yes>. they're. <area. laughs> your family is great. My family's great too. We're just mm-hmm. we don't hug. We don't really. We're mm-hmm. not that kind of family. So even after Barry Gordy congratulated him and his brothers were giving him all the attention, adoration, he still wasn't pleased. That is, until a little boy came up from him, a little boy came up to him backstage. He was about 10 years old and he was wearing a tuxedo. Hmm. He looked at the star with his eyes frozen and he said, man, whoever taught you to dance like that? And Michael just laughed and told him, practice. Nice. <laughs> it's so cute. And that's that's the thing is, is Michael, you know, I, I, I can hear the audience right now being like, mm-hmm. Michael was good to kids. Like, yeah. there's going to be something that comes up in episode, because I've already partially written it, 12? 100. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, 12, where a kid's quote in an article hits him so hard that he changes an entire system. So, like, he actually does care about the kids.
3: Hey, LD, sorry to step in here. We just have to take a few minutes for our sponsors. Okay, we are back.
2: Yay! I have finished talking about Michael Jackson. So, that day... (laughs) This is so weird. This is such, such a weird thing. The day after Motown 25, Fred Astaire just casually called him up on the phone and said, and these are his exact words, you're a hell of a mover. Man, you really put them on their asses last night.
3: So Fred Astaire calls him out of the blue to compliment him? Yep. <laughs> now, Interesting. Yep, okay.
2: Yeah. Now, this, this wasn't totally out of the blue. Like It wasn't like a cold call. Because he had met Fred Astaire in the past, but this was the first time he had ever called him. He actually went on to say, I watched the special last night. I taped it and watched it again this morning. You're a hell of a mover. Okay, so later his performance was actually nominated for an Emmy Award, but he lost to Leotine Price. And that's another really interesting thing that I don't know if a lot of people know about. Is it Um, a fun fact? It's not really a fun fact. It's more of a fact. Is that funny enough award shows can win awards (laughs) which
3: is just the most meta thing you could ever say
2: It, it really is because we had a friend who was nominated for a emmy award
3: for something that he wrote for the tonys because the tonys are televised yeah yeah so the televised performance of the tony awards then becomes its own program exactly award shows giving awards to award shows wow so (laughs) how perverse
2: that that, so he was nominated for that emmy award but he lost to leotine price but that didn't matter much to michael because fred astaire told him that he was a great dancer
3: that'd be okay for me too i mean if i lost the emmy but fred astaire's like you can dance i'm like fair
2: yeah that was better than any award Mm -hmm. to michael okay so now i'm going to say a bunch of words that most people won't believe i've put into this order (laughs) <laughs> have a weird way of saying words.
4: Here we but go. <laughs> not
2: long after he spoke to Fred Astaire on the phone, he went over to his house, and they went over his Billie Jean performance step by step. He actually showed Fred and the choreographer Hermes Pan how to do the moonwalk.
3: Wait, can you repeat the name of the choreographer?
2: Hermes Pan.
3: That is a name.
2: Or Hermes. Hermes Pan. Hermes Pan. Hermes Pan. Whatever. Hermes. Hmm. <laughs> when Pan arrived... Fred put in the videotape of the performance, and he told him, wait till you see this. And the two old pros watched in awe as the new kid on the block rocked America. Nice. Fred never once in his life was one to give praise to someone who didn't actually earn it. And especially if it was another male dancer. Hmm. And he gave it to Michael. He was completely knocked out by Michael. Interesting. Fred Astaire. Man. There you go. Not long after that, because <laughs> why not, Gene Kelly came over to his house and complimented his dancing as well.
3: Just have everybody over, I mean.
2: And think about this. be a party. He, he came up with this entire choreography in the kitchen the night before. Now, that's, that is crunching for a test.
3: I do find it so funny when that happens. Like, someone writes something spectacular and it's like, yeah, I did it on a subway. You know?
2: Funny you should yeah. say that because Lynn manuel Miranda... Actually, found the words for I can't remember if it was nonstop or actually Alexander Hamilton, but it was mm-hmm. some some part of Alexander Hamilton. And he came up with the lyrics on the train to go to one of his friend's birthday parties. And he like went in and like hugged the guy, and then got back on the subway <laughs> and finished writing the song. Uh, and it took him seven years to write that song.
3: I think it was a Yankees pitcher, David Wells, pitched a no hitter. And then in later interviews, he said when he did it, he was completely hungover.
2: huh Yeah. Well, Cabin in the Woods and I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off were both written in three days.
3: Okay, I heard about Cabin in the Woods. I did not know about Ferris Bueller.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, Drew Goddard had friends writing Cabin in the Woods, whereas John Hughes wrote that on his own. Over, really? over one weekend.
3: That's hilarious.
2: Yeah. I can't. I can't even write these episodes in one day, and I have like... Books. This stuff is coming out of their brains. If
3: you give me a weekend, I'll come up with one really good paragraph. Three awesome words. Yes.
2: And that was it. That was my three awesome for the day. We're done. Thank you guys for checking out this episode.
3: <laughs> our socials can be found. Still not saying our website and oh wait, no, we're still going. Yeah.
2: So pretty much right after Motown twenty-five, his family read a lot of stuff in the press about Michael being the new Sinatra. And as exciting as Elvis. You know, that kind of stuff. But Michael wasn't really impressed by that. He knew how the press could be fickle. Later on, he gave that glittery black jacket that he wore on Motown 25 to Sebby Davis as a present. Because he always believed that Sammy Davis was one of the finest humans and one of the best showmen.
3: Who we have covered on this podcast. Yes,
2: actually, I covered. Yes, you did. You've actually, you covered Sinatra.
3: Well, we did a Rat Pack series. Yes.
2: And my brother covered Dean Martin. Was
3: that right? Uh, I believe so.
2: Okay. So there's actually more about the glove than people know. The thing is, he had been wearing the glove since back in the 1970s. And he wore one glove during Off the Wall, that tour, and he wore it on the cover of the album. But for some reason, nobody paid attention to it (laughs) until after Thriller, which was in 1983
3: interesting so
2: like okay. here's this thing and so you get this like almost Mandela effect of like no 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 the thriller was like the first time he ever wore the glove like no he wore this in the 70s it's crazy the other thing about his fashion because like I like to touch on the fashion of certain artists but it wasn't really cool to wear white socks with black shoes and black pants now back in the 50s it was cool to wear was that it? yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like the greaser look. You wear Mm. your leather jacket, the black pants, and then you wear the white socks and then almost like the penny loafers. And that's what he was wearing. And so he kind of brought this like 50s cool back. And he was he said that he was too square to even consider it for most people. Hmm. So (laughs) he actually never stopped wearing them. He didn't care. And Jermaine would tell his mother to talk to Michael because he was wearing white socks and it you drove, don't do that. You just don't do that. You have to. I have worn white socks every day my entire life.
3: Although I can see where they're coming from, as far as a sort of a business attire, you can't wear as being, white socks. Yeah, as no being cool. Way
2: to yeah. be cool.
3: Yeah, you can't.
2: Uh, after Thriller out, it became okay to even wear your pants around your ankles again, which we call them "floody pants."
3: Floody pants. Yeah,
2: those are high waters or floody pants. See, I've heard of high waters
3: or waders.
2: I never heard waiters,
3: yeah. but like like in the water, not like I'll take your order.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. like like the things that you wear when you go snake hunting or yeah, something. Yeah, like
3: the big rubber pants. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Yes. no. <laughs> Wade. W a d e r. <W-A-D-E-R>, like <laughs> yeah. Deadpool. Wade. Wade Wilson. That's oh, not Watts. You, you, Who is you, he? Oh God. It's Wade Wilson. Is Deadpool.
2: Yes, Watts is actually. That's well, Ready Player One. <laughs> that's Ready Player One. <laughs> oh boy, my
3: pop culture wires are getting real cross this episode. <laughs>
2: We would get made fun of from wearing those pants until Michael Jackson came back on the scene. So I think the fact that Michael was wearing pants that were at his ankles was probably just cool because he was Michael Jackson.
4: Fair. It
2: wasn't because the you know process of fashion was looping back around from the 50s. It was just Michael Jackson wore it, and now it's cool. Same reason why kids would wear, like, one glove or the red leather jacket. and it, He was becoming... An icon on so many fronts at this
3: point. Well, he already... I mean, he was. I mean, with Thriller and everything else. And he just... He's making an impact that's never been seen before.
2: Yeah. But when he was at home, guess what he dressed like? I don't know. He would stay in his pajamas for days on end. Or huh. in, like, flannel shirts or old sweaters. Now... When he would go out, he would dress sharper, brighter, more tailored clothes. But around the house, it was all about comfort, which makes me feel like, nah, I get it. (laughs) And he didn't wear much jewelry because it got in his way. If somebody like gave him a piece of jewelry as a gift, he would love it because of the sentimental value, not because of what it was. So if he got like a Rolex watch or something, it wasn't because it was Rolex. It was because it was given to him by fill in the blank. So one time, Jackie Gleason... Gave him a gorgeous ring. And, of course, he never wore rings because, you know, it would get in his way. So he tucked it away, and sadly, that was actually stolen.
3: Someone stole the ring?
2: Yeah. I don't know anything about the whole, like, the lost ring caper. Oh, but, no, wait. Like, I heard
3: about this. Did you? So the ring, yeah, he he left it somewhere, and it was picked up by a hobbit of the Shire. And what happened was, <sighs> was the hobbit actually became, oh, here comes the spray bottle. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh For, f- for five thousand years, it poisoned his mind. Get, no, I'm gonna no. poison okay, your face. Okay. That was for you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> As I drink out of my green dragon glass.
2: <laughs> All right, popping back over to Motown 25. Barry Gordy let him know that 47 million people watched that show, and apparently, most of them went out and bought Thriller. <laughs>
3: because it already wasn't selling very well so that certainly goosed the sales nope by
2: the fall of 1983 cbs's expectations for that successor to off the wall had been eclipsed hardcore remember because like the guys were like oh yeah you're only gonna sell like two million it's not no no we we understand it was minimum minimum 33 million up to sixty four million, possibly a hundred million. We don't know because yes. SoundScan wasn't the around. The stats but are like, skewed, aren't they? But they are. They really are. But like, it doesn't take away from the fact that it was the highest selling record of all time, and it still is internationally. And it's only like switching places with the Eagles. Like they're still neck and neck. So,
3: how does ACDC had that? No, number two. Eagles, oh. Eagles. Eagles okay. is
2: is. I think Eagles now have the number one, but oh. like they they ping pong back and forth. Okay. So. Stepping finally into 1984. Oh, my goodness. Yay.
3: We're into the mid-80s. Yeah,
2: he ended up winning eight American Music Awards, and he actually accepted them while wearing sunglasses on the broadcast. Now, again, more words that I should not have to say in this order, but Katharine Hepburn called him up and gave him an earful because she hated him wearing the sunglasses. She said, your fans want to see your eyes. Well, let me, hang on. Let me try to do a, Catherine. Your fans want to see your eyes. You're cheating them. Is that a good Catherine Hepburn?
3: Thank you for listening to our podcast. (laughs)
2: Your fans want to see your eyes. Michael, what are you doing with your life?
3: I think it's more like Joan Crawford. Does anybody
2: have a raccoon in a pair of pants I can borrow? (laughs) Ah. Is that a good Catherine Hepburn? It,
3: it, it veered into some very strange territories for a moment. There is reminiscent of some other impressions you've done, uh, which I'll just say have not aged well. They age well. Yeah. They
2: just sound bad. They're terrible impressions. So the following months, when the Grammys happened, he walked away with seven, seven Grammy awards. And the moment that he had waited for since his disappointing Grammy win for "Off the Wall," he actually won Best album he went up to accept it and when he took off his sunglasses he stared directly into the camera and said katherine hepburn this is for
3: you did he really yes oh my goodness <laughs> then kanye west came out and said michael i'm gonna let you finish yeah. but beyonce <laughs> she's not even
2: born yet but she wait will but wait yeah. <laughs> So we're going to actually go back to 1983. I'm sorry. I wrote this like six months ago. So. <laughs>
3: A lot of changes then.
2: So much as we're different people. We've grown apart. And then we grew back together. But uh, Michael and his brothers still had not renegotiated their contracts with their father, nor had they decided to resign with demand. Weisner and Demand. The other brothers were ambivalent about resigning, but they were willing to. I mean, they didn't really have any other options. But of course, Michael was the holdout. You know, he hated his father for years now, and he was also disenchanted with Weiser and Demand because, eh, meh. I mean, they weren't really doing anything, I mean, according to the two books that I was reading. Joseph hadn't been doing much for Michael lately, especially since his attorney, John, had come into his life. Michael trusted John, almost to a fault, almost explicitly trusted John to make certain that Joseph was not involved in any decision. So, essentially, John was actually as much of a manager to Michael as he was an attorney because he was helping with all those decision-making moments.
3: Well, it's actually not uncommon. A lot of high-level celebrities will just have an attorney to broker deals and review contracts. and Because when you get to a certain point, you don't need someone to sell you. You really just need someone to manage the legal affairs. And so a lot of people have just an attorney
2: yeah, Michael had complained to John during the last few years that Ron and Freddie were not creative individuals, and they that he didn't even understand what they were doing there. They didn't know what they were doing. But whenever John would discuss Michael's feelings with Fred and about Fred and Ron, they wouldn't know what he was talking about. They actually felt like Michael was pleased with their work since he had never told them otherwise. Again, Michael's not good with confrontation. So like, anytime you know it happened prior and i'm trying to remember when but it happened where um, he had someone in his life and he was like they were shocked that michael didn't like him cannot remember what it was i will figure it out in a little bit but like that's the thing is like michael will constantly keep someone in their life but not really tell him how they that how he feels about the work that they're doing
3: Well, I think that stems from his home life. If you look at that relationship he had with his parents and his siblings, I just don't think it lends itself to that kind of intimacy. You know, there's a distance, there's a gap there, especially when it came, which is going back to what you said, I find it fascinating that he was non-confrontational because if I remember correctly, he was the only one who would stand up to Joseph. Correct. He actually threw a shoe at his father Mm -hmm. once. And everyone else was downright afraid of him and wouldn't do anything.
2: Yeah. So, you know, in, in keeping with that sentiment, He went to John and was like, you remember their idea for the Beat It video? They wanted me to have bows and arrows. Now, come on, that was stupid. It was true. Ron and Freddie's concept for the Beat It video would have had Michael dressed as Robin Hood. I want you to think about that.
3: Nah, I'm good. We agree that we don't need any more Robin Hood. Oh,
2: God, please stop making Robin Hood. But it seemed like most of the others weren't happy with Ron and Freddie either, mainly because of all the attention they had lavished upon Michael. For that reason, they wanted to leave Joseph too. However, they were actually waiting for Michael to make the announcement, not Joseph. But now, now nobody is blameless in this situation, but Wisner and Demand kind of dug their own grave by saying to the press that yes, they did have problems with Joseph, but they had no problem with Michael or the Jacksons and that Joseph had, had not been involved in any major decisions in recent years. They actually said that out loud Hmm. that they did not have a good relationship with Joseph. And I think that's what got the attention of the family. Freddie actually said, I believe in that same interview that I don't think he enjoys a good relationship with anyone whose skin is not black. He said this about Hmm? whom? Yeah. About Joseph. About Joseph, okay. Freddie said that about Joseph. Got it, okay. People have called me racist. I'm not a racist. If I were a racist, I wouldn't have hired a lot of white guys to work for me. I'm not racist. I'm American. I give my children 100% of my know-how knowledge and time trying to develop them to be what they are today. And it's paid off and it's still paying off. And that is a direct quote from Joseph. Huh. This back and forth was it for Michael. It seemed like the, the moment that race was brought into the conversation, that was it. He was done. So he actually took steps to fire Freddie and Ron. He told him that other things were annoying him over the duo, like telling him that he should do music videos with bows and arrows and saying that Thriller would only sell two million copies. And that that was it for Michael. He realized that too much was being said in the press, especially about race. So he decided to cut to the chase and fire Wiser and Demand. He was going to do it anyway, so his father didn't really need to do anything. But that sealed the deal, that whole the whole conversation about race.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: They said they said that Thriller would only go on to sell two million copies, and it's way over that, said Michael to John, So who needs them? They told me not to do Motown 25 and look at what kind of bad advice that was. John had to remind Michael that he had not wanted to do the Motown special anyway, and Michael argued that's not the point. Ron and Freddie agreed with me, and they should have tried to convince me to do it, he told John. They're finished.
3: So he put it back on them?
2: Yes. The two of them were released on the 22nd of July. But when he received the letter from John, Ron was astonished. He was actually a little taken aback that Michael would have just had an attorney send a letter, as opposed to firing him face to face. I could see that. Now, with the two managers gone and Joseph not being re-signed, it looked like the number one artist in the world was now a free agent. (laughs) He had no manager. His team actually only consisted of an attorney and a chief advisor, which was John, and a security man named Bill Bray, and his accountant, Marshall Gelflin, and his secretary.
3: To be fair, it sounds like all the bases are covered. You have your, your security, you have your finance, you have your legal options. I mean... But you need, you need a manager. You need someone who's
2: holding out over all of them. At this point? Yeah, because you need someone who's going to be taking the lead on any decision. The manager's really important because it's kind of like a pyramid because you have the artist on top and you have, like, the managers. Should be, you know, the managers are directly underneath mm-hmm. the artist. And the managers manage the finances, the talent, the touring, anything that's going out, press secretary... You people that, you know, you you need all these people and you need one umbrella holding it all down. And that's the manager. And that's a manager. Now, please, if anybody uh, out there in Radioland has anything to say about actually having a manager, but I, like, even as an actor, having a
3: manager and an agent were very important. Agreed. I think if there's a point in your career when they're more critical than others because you need people to advertise you, get the word out, you know, and at some point, you are your own brand, and I'd kind of argue that Michael's to that point now.
2: Yeah, but you, like, okay, <laughs> you guys are going to hate us. We watched Marry Me <laughs> for Valentine's Day, and you saw all the people that were working with her.
3: Yeah, an entourage.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. and that's what you need. Do You need somebody who's doing the, 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 the hair and the makeup, and you need the wardrobe, and you need the person that's managing your calendars. You need your security. Like, you saw all the people that were with her. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed since the '80s. In fact, it's gotten bigger since then. So, like having something this small is still rather impressive. But, like you do, that's something that you really need
3: is the manager. Well, there's no social media at this point, which Correct. is a full time job in and of itself. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which,
2: by the way, we have an announcement to make at the end of the show. Spoiler <sighs> alert!
3: Oh, now you got to hear the whole episode. Oh no! One for a penny, and for a pound. <laughs>
2: Michael's next move was to sever his professional relationship with his father. Just like it was important for Michael to give Barry Gordy a chance to redeem himself before he helped kind of negotiate taking their first steps away from Motown Michael hoped his dad would do the same. That he would try to redeem himself. But of course it's Joseph Hmm. so we just couldn't rise to the challenge but it would have maybe helped to know that he was being tested for the one time that I will take you know say you know In defense of Joseph, he didn't know he was actually being tested. He didn't actually know he was being tested. Fair. So, he's finished. Michael decided of Joseph. Catherine might not have been able to get rid of her husband, but Michael could unload him as a manager. Michael had John draw up official documents informing Joseph that his managerial services would no longer be required. But, of course, Michael was being the shy one. The day that the papers were going to be delivered to the house, he actually left. He stayed away from the house until he had had time to have it delivered, read it, and then get used to the idea. Got it. I mean, it's not easy
3: to fire your dad. Yeah, at the end of the day, it is still his dad. I know Joseph hasn't been the most stand-up guy through the course of this series, but even if someone's—anyone in your family, even if they're off base, you— They're still family, you know? Yeah. And that's a very difficult position.
2: Well, it's funny that you
3: should say... What, Sean Connery?
2: Yeah. Or Jeff Goldblum? I don't know what you're doing now. Oh,
4: goodness.
2: In a rare act of unity and solidarity, all the brothers acted as (laughs) one (laughs) in (laughs) this decision. They wanted Joseph out, too. So none of them wanted to renew their contract with Joseph. And this was a, a, a group effort. And according to one of Michael's advisors, Michael had a meeting in with Joseph in the living room of the Encino House to discuss the matter. And Michael had asked his advisor to be there in person because he didn't want to be alone with Joseph. And, of course, Joseph played the victim. The fact is, well, he said, the fact that you can't even talk to me unless you have this guy here hurts. It hurts me, Michael. Do you know how that makes me feel? He had tears welling up in his eyes. You know how I feel about you. Why do I always have to say it? Michael shied away from his father, but then spit back, You never say it, Joseph. Don't act like you've said it. Even once, because you have never said it. And then he brought out the one-liner, because of course he did. He said, After all I've done for you and your brothers. Oh, boy. Like that's that's the one thing that you could have said to him to like gut punch. It's just like there comes a point especially when you're like twenty four that you
4: kinda And the superstar
2: and you kinda have to let your kid go. Yeah. You know, your kid has already sold like thirty two million records. I don't I don't know if you need to be there constantly. Why not? Just be a dad. How about that? Just be a dad. And then a line was crossed in Joseph's eyes when Michael said And what about all the things you've done to Catherine? What has that been about Joseph? Michael's comment set Joseph off. According to the witness's memory, he said, it ain't got nothing to do with nothing, he said, raising his voice to a level that made Michael recoil. Joseph rose so he was standing above his son, who was still seated. My marriage has nothing to do with you, Michael, he shouted. You know I love your mother, and that's between me and her. Michael stood up to face his father. His dark eyes were blazing. It's all because of us, Joseph, he exclaimed. If you can't see that, then I don't know what to tell you. And then he stormed out of the room. Then (laughs) Joseph turned on the advisor. It's because of you, he said, still hurting, but in a furious voice. You put this bullshit in my son's head and you're ruining our family. It's because of you. And then he crumpled into a chair. Joseph appeared to be reeling as if for him... All logic, fairness, and common sense had been suddenly suspended, and now this. He put his face in his hands and sat in a chair, shaking his head in disbelief. And that is from The Magic of the Madness, The Whole Story by J. Randy Tarabinelli.
4: Hmm.
2: So, just imagine the living situation in 1983. The Jacksons that are still living at the Havenhurst estate are Michael, Janet, LaToya, Joseph, and Catherine. Michael had fired Joseph as his manager, but they were still living in the same house together. And Catherine had filed for divorce, but he was still sleeping down the hallway because he was too stubborn to move out.
3: Awkward. Yeah.
2: And then Saturdays, he would go to see uh, Giovanni, and the house would come alive. It, it would be like... Wait, who's Giovanni? It was his
3: daughter. Giovanni. Okay, got it. Yeah, Sorry. It
2: was his daughter with was Cheryl? Sherilyn?
3: Cheryl, Sherilyn, yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> So he would leave on Saturdays and go see her, and the kids would love it. He, They would love it when he was out of the house because they'd have a ton of kids over. They would play movies. There would be popcorn machines going off, and animals were out, and everybody was dancing to music. Joseph was just a dark cloud over the house. And so he'd get out, and, like, immediately there would be, like, party city, y'all.
3: It tells you everything to know when people are happier when someone's not there. Okay. I mean— that, that's yeah. that's the telltale. Yep.
2: Now, one thing I really haven't talked about is how the Jacksons handled people that worked for them. And it doesn't paint them in a great light. So if you want to continue having, like, this fluffy idea of Michael, this is probably not a great spot for you to listen to. <laughs> Michael had a videographer. Uh, at the time, a man named Steve Howell. He remembered that he was taking a vacation to Lake Tahoe. Steve was taking a vacation, not... okay. So he... <laughs> was with his girlfriend in lake tahoe and made the mistake of calling the house to see if everything was okay bill bray who was the security officer picked up the phone hysterically and told him he had to get back to the house immediately because there was no reception in michael's room and he had to watch tv so steve actually canceled the rest of his trip
3: oh my god went
2: back to los angeles and went by the house to only discover that the cable wire had been unplugged
3: oh man
2: he got a thank you the other thing was the Jacksons were, and rightfully so, I mean, honestly, rightfully so, they were suspicious of outsiders. Sure. Michael was having an interview with a reporter. As he was talking to the reporter, the security, who was Bill, who was actually a former police officer stood nearby watching. Um, Bray, who worked with Michael until his retirement, was not a small dude. He was a pretty formidable guy. Steve recalled, I was talking to Mike in the front yard, and it was about 3 in the afternoon. I remember the time of day because at 3, that's when all the kids get out of school. And Michael and I were talking, and the next thing I know, this girl walked up and said hello. She gives him a big bear hug. With her back to me, Mike motioned with his arms kind of helplessly as to say, who was this person? I was about to say something when suddenly I felt the air break, something like whooshed at the speed of light. It was Bill. He grabbed that chick, smacked her to the ground, handcuffed her, and dragged her out of there. The cops came and took her away. The girl was crying hysterically, probably scared to death. Michael took it all in and without missing a beat, he said, so anyway, and went back to talking like nothing had happened. Wow. There does come a point where, like, your fandom, you just get used to that. Because remember, like, when they were kids, they were being attacked.
3: Well, and also Joseph would, like, bring girls back to the room. There were there was a lot of shady stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There was, but I'm saying, like, as far as fandom and pandemonium goes and behavior around the boys, it's always been kind of that way. So you think at age, what, 25, 26 that he's at right now, it's probably, like, a normal thing for
3: him. But also what's crazy is Michael's now s- achieved a level of fame that's he has not seen before. And it, it, I mean, he's at mega stardom at this point. Yeah. So it's even worse than it was when he was with the Jackson 5. Yeah. Which had a mania, absolutely, but even now, like, multiply that by 10 or 100.
2: Well, at this point, Michael is the biggest star in the world. Oh, yeah. Like, this was his year. Mm -hmm. So I think he might have just become desensitized to it. Possibly. So hopping over to Catherine. She had dealt with so much drama in her life, but she's also dealing with what the boys had done to Joseph. So after thinking long and hard about it, she just decided to withdraw her divorce papers. The fact is she still loved him and she didn't know why she felt that way. Michael suspected now that his parents had reconciled that Joseph might expect to be welcomed back to the fold, not only as the husband, but the manager. But of course, Michael was not going to let that happen again. Then he told Janet, according to her memory, she said, Mother may have wanted it back, but I don't. And I don't think my brothers do either. There's no way I'll let him back in. There's no way they'll let him back in. But Joseph was a bit craftier. He didn't have plans to actually get back in. He had the plan to get back in. Oh, boy. Something that Michael and Michael's brothers would probably find irresistible. A reunion tour. Oh, here it is. Many of the artists who had participated in the Motown anniversary television special felt like a new sense of bonding and camaraderie with the label. And after that show, Barry actually re-signed the four tops to the company and teamed them with The Temptations on vinyl. Just as they had been reuniting on the stage that evening in Pasadena. Other artists began to negotiate with Barry as well. Holland, Dozer, Holland were back and even Diana Ross was socializing with Barry again. It was as if they were trying to recapture the feeling that they had during those glory days of Motown. Everybody that is except Jermaine. <laughs> After the show taped, Jermaine actually began meeting with his brothers and Joseph about the possibility of him leaving Motown and reuniting with the group. Going out on the road again together. And Michael was never tapped into these meetings. He never knew anything about it. Interesting. Michael's success only helps us. Tito says, he is way up there above us, and maybe he can throw down a rope and let us climb in. A tour would also relieve Marlon of certain financial pressures. Marlon, I guess, was going through some financial issues because he and his wife, Carol, had been separated, but they were now reconciled. They were determined to make their marriage work despite, you know, financial
3: stuff. Financial stuff. Yeah,
2: they needed help. They did. By this time, the brothers were also preparing a new Jackson album called Victory. Victory. Michael didn't want to be involved in the project. He would write and sing on only two tracks and participate in writing of a third, and even that was too much participation for him. However, as they recorded the album, the other brothers became excited about the prospect of touring to promote it once it was released. No one wanted to consider Michael's reaction to the possibility of a tour. They didn't, they, the fact is, they needed Michael for this tour because. He was the one that was really famous. He was the one with all the success at this point, and they needed him. But the fact is, they didn't really want to consider how he would feel about going on tour. I want to say they were using him. That's what it sounds like. If I'm you On know, the basis level. Jermaine, I actually reached out to you on Instagram, so if you're listening to this, dude, I ask you to come on the show. Yeah,
3: man, come on. Let's talk about it.
2: <laughs> let's chat. Let's learn. And the reason why they didn't really want to consider his feelings is because they felt like he would say no. Now, by the summer of 1983, Jermaine had become excited enough at the prospects of touring that he actually asked Barry to be released from Motown. And he wanted to look at his options... And Arista offered him a deal, which he would take. He also wanted to be free to tour with the Jacksons. So in the end, Joseph called a meeting of all the brothers and announced that it was time for them to go back on the road. The original Jackson 5, plus Randy. <laughs> and <laughs> so, Randy. So, and Reggie, The Jackson this brothers. <laughs> Michael's response was a very swift and very cold, No can imagine count me out no i am not doing this no over the weeks they tried to get everything they they they, they spaghettied the heck out of suggestions to get michael to do the tour first joseph went to michael and said that the brothers weren't as financially well off as he was and he con- should he should consider it because they could really use the money but in michael's eyes if they had gotten rid of some of the more extravagant things that they had spent their money on they should be fine financially The next thing that they tried was guilt. So they accused of Michael of turning his back on his brothers now that he was a big superstar. And that didn't work either. Then they tried humor and they bought a life-size pop-up poster of Michael. You know, kind of like the one I have of Nicholas Cajuns and Zanackels.
3: Yes, I'm familiar with those. Yeah,
2: they don't scare the heck out of you every time you walk into the office. I'm used to
3: it by now. Yeah, it's like,
2: good morning, Nick. Anyway, they they bought one of those life-size posters and said that if he didn't perform, that they would put that on stage in his place. And that got him thinking, maybe he could do the tour. <laughs> Just maybe. But then Joseph came back and tried reverse psychology, and that only made him bitter. So, like, they almost had him, and then they, Joseph came in and pissed him off. But the thing that broke the camel's back was, like, the thing that finally got him, the thing that finally made him turn was his mother had been the co-promoter of the tour, met with him privately, and asked him to consider the possibility of a tour for her sake. And how could he resist? That was his mom. He agreed to do the tour. The fact is, Joseph didn't care that Michael's heart wasn't on the stage just as long as his body was. Shows you where Joseph's priorities are. He is the worst. Pretty much. So that's where we're going to end the episode. So if you're wondering why I didn't play any music during the episode, that answer is easy. We're actually going to play something that we haven't done before because it's actually a feed from the show Motown 25. I'm going to play it in in its entirety. I'm going to play it in its entirety. It runs roughly 14 minutes long. And even though the audio is only so-so, I think you can actually hear the moment where the people lost their minds. So really quick, I'm going to give out our socials. Hang on. I've got to find them. I must find our socials. Oh, I should have really thought of this. Our social stuff. If you think that we're doing a good job, you can support the show at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. You can find us on Instagram at rock and roll heaven LT. Our Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. And you can email us rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And uh, we do have.
3: That's right.
2: And as of. This very day, today, which is Thursday, February seventeenth, we now have a TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> you can find us on TikTok at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. So we just hope to make that like a fun place where we can do stupid things, uh, which is like totally different than all the other social medias that we have. <laughs> but, I have uh, feeling
3: there'll be a lot of. Uh videos of the cats on that one
2: there might be Mm -hmm. there also might be short clips of the show there might be little fun facts there might be just video clips there might be a whole lot of stuff i don't know yet but we thought like we we thought like maybe we should hop on this tiktok train like five years after it started so we are on tiktok again that is rock and roll heaven pod and it is a picture oh you picked the picture of me and you of course i did oh that's so cute we'll have to change that we will Nobody wants to see my face, which will probably be the whole TikTok. So don't subscribe to our TikTok. Yet. <laughs> Yet. yeah, No, no, no. They can subscribe because we will start posting stuff. Yeah, just know good stuff is coming. Good stuff is coming. So uh, make sure that you also check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Now, Mr. Hickey, would you like to say something to the audience?
3: Well, I know there's a song coming. Mm-hmm. And I must confess, I do not know what the song is. So to that, I say thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and enjoy the song.
2: <laughs> it's actually not just a song. What we're going to be closing with is the entire feed from the Motown 25 of the Jackson 5 reunion and Michael Jackson's solo with Billie Jean. Holy monkey. So um, I will also be posting that link on our Facebook. Facebook page. So if you guys are interested in seeing the first time that the moonwalk was actually used, then you can do that. And uh, also, the thing about the moonwalk is I know that there are a ton of Nexus stories about who created certain things. So please, under that I would love if you guys uh, maybe told me what you think the origin story of Netflix, of Netflix, of the moonwalk actually was. Okay? So, from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, and I know I speak for my brother when I say this to all you guys out there, the light at the end of the tunnel might be the sparkly jacket that Michael Jackson is wearing.
3: I hope so. (laughs) Good night, and we love you. See you.
1: If you remember these songs I never can say goodbye the day. I never can say goodbye Even though the pain and heartaches Seem to follow me wherever I go Though so I try and strike to hide my feet Since they always seem to the show
4: Then you try to
1: say you're You and I must make a pact. We must bring salvation back. Where there is love. yeah thank you oh you're beautiful thank you thank you yeah those I have to say those were the good old days I love those songs Uh, those were magic moments with all my brothers including Jermaine but uh you know those were good songs I I like those songs a lot, but especially I like the new songs.
0: Would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
4: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
4: Yes. <laughs> my, mom and dad. my mom and
0: my there. From airship